right, Pat, hope your light's on because we're on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lights are on, lights are on. Oh, man, some would say lights, camera, action. That was corny. Well, there's no camera, so. Yeah, we, we discussed it. All right, whatever, let's get into this. Cool, another episode of what we saw last night, uh, South Jersey's preeminent movie slash horror kind of like culture podcast. We're uh, honored to have uh, Joe Bandelli, who is a uh, producer and director and writer. produced right oh writer extraordinaire <laughs> i want to say yeah like I, I looked up your resume and you've done everything in every type of form of media from pretty much everything like oh you got like a lot of online content so you're like all over the place and we want to thank you for coming on and most importantly um one of our favorite uh film series just as a whole as a whole is the hell house and you've been able to help out with that so thanks so much for creating something that uh we all like yeah thank you guys for having me um i i think i heard you guys say south jersey uh what whereabouts in south jersey is this uh is this podcast being taken from <laughs> we work together in camden county in clementon okay and then I'm personally from Cumberland County. Julia's from Camden County. Pat's the only one that's from PA. Gotcha. So Pat, Pat doesn't gotcha. count when it comes to New Jersey. Gotcha. Okay. Well, but like, I, I have the most experience. I, I want to say I, my views in of Jersey, I feel like, are more balanced because I, I've spent more time in North Jersey than they have. So, like, where they have this weird, like, South Jersey thing, I feel like I encapsulate a view of the whole state. Well, I can tell you I'm from uh, what used to be a very, very um, unknown place until the governor decided to make it a real place. So I'm from the uh, mythical central Jersey, uh, represented Monmouth County. So uh, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to Jersey folks. <laughs> I only know Monmouth County exists because I tried to apply for um, Monmouth University. And then I realized that school is actually like a... <laughs> It's actually like a really good school. Like I didn't qualify for any of the of the requirements, so I, I backed out. But um, just a fun fact. No, it's it's nice to. Uh, I I always say to pe- people, always ask me, like, do you respond to like a lot of people when they send you emails and stuff about films and new projects and stuff? And it's it's hard because sometimes you can't really respond to people who are reaching out to you. It's sort of like a uh, like a protection thing. Like if someone reaches out to me and starts sending me a script. Like if I respond to them, it shows proof of me like reading their script. And if they, I ever make a movie that has an idea, like they could sue me for it. So it's a lot of like weird things like that. But uh, usually the people who I respond to are people from New Jersey, just to just to wrap the state. Nice. That's that's really cool, actually. Um, man, that's rough. Um, so we'll we'll get this started. We normally do um, like a warm up to to get ready. Uh, so we got a few warm up questions. We'll start. Describe your ideal pizza style mm. and toppings. Okay. And also, give right. your views of pineapple. Okay. So here's the thing. So I, I'm pretty much I don't like to hate on people for liking certain things that are like obscure. So for instance, when people get into the whole like Chicago versus New York or Detroit or any of that kind of stuff, I think they all hold a special place in different parts. Obviously, being from New Jersey and living in New York as long as I did before I moved out to the West Coast, I am a big believer in New York pizza, thin crust pizza. I'm a big original person. Probably if I'm going straight, like what my go-to is, it's always pepperoni. 
there's a place it's it's in freehold new jersey and it used to have a second location in howell new jersey called federici's and that i think is the best pizza i've ever had in my entire life um but to answer the last part of your question is i'm not gonna hate on people who like pineapple pizza i know a lot of people will say fuck that it's can i curse by the way am i allowed to yeah 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 go crazy okay So I, I know a lot of people that would say like, fuck that, it's garbage, blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, to each their own. I've, I've had Hawaiian pizza before and, you know, sometimes you're in the mood for that kind of thing. But I think if you're going tried and true, it's either like cheese or pepperoni or sausage or something like that. Real quick before I get sidetracked, you've been to, I'm assuming, a lot of places in New York to get pizza and in New Jersey to get pizza. So Pat and I actually, we adventure all Philadelphia because that's where we live. Mm-hmm. And we try to get, you know, whatever kind of pizza we can get from different places. Like say like the last the last adventure we went on, they had uh, three, two or three deep dish, like Chicago deep dish pizzas. Right. So Detroit, style. Detroit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Detroit style pizzas. You know, we tried all of them. We went around and we tried all of them and kind of figure it out. But my question is, because personally, because I've, I've been in New York a few times, I've had like some good pizza and then some generic like Times Square pizza. Right. Do you, is New York pizza, in your opinion, the top of the top? Or do you think there's hidden gems in New Jersey that could beat out a New York pizza. I actually think that there's places in New Jersey that are better than New York. I think you can consistently find, like if you're doing a one to 10 ranking, I feel like you can consistently find more eights in New York than you could anywhere else. But I think you'll find like a few nines and close to tens in New Jersey uh, versus what you would find in New York. Okay. Cause I know people, people sleep on it, but Philadelphia has some really good pizza. Yeah, man. So I, so I'm going to, you guys might've been to these places, but I'm going to make some quick recommendations for you. So first off, New York, the classic in New York is John's of Bleecker street. That's like the the go-to. It was really good. So that, that's one. Number two is, and this is going to sound, if you, if you haven't heard of this, it's going to sound gross, but have you heard of uh, Papa's tomato pies and mustard pies in Robbinsville, New Jersey? No. Yes. Okay. So have Um, you been there? Uh, yeah, Papa's, they, they, um, if I'm getting this right, they've been around for a while. I want to say they had another location. And, well, um, so them and yeah. De Lorenzo's are both kind yeah. of in the same area and have been around for like generations. But the, have you had the mustard pie? I haven't had the mustard pie. My dad is friends with the De Lorenzo's. Okay. And, um, it's like, I, I, it's like, it's been like talked about at family stuff, but like, I don't know, like I, we've never like ventured to get it. Okay. Let me do you a favor and say, go back there, go to Robbinsville, New Jersey and get a mustard pie. I know what you're thinking. It sounds disgusting. They do something with mustard and tomato sauce. That's one of the tastiest things you will ever have in your entire life. It sounds gross. And every person that I've told about it was like, that's disgusting. I'm never going to try that. And I've got them to go there with me and they tasted it and said, this is one of the best things I've ever had in my life. So that, that would be De Lorenzo's was the third one I was going to recommend. But yeah, th- those would be the places I think you should you should hit up. There's always Pete Nelda's and Carmine's Pizzeria in, I believe, Neptune. Um, they have like if you eat an entire pizza, 
Uh, I already always did this growing up, but if you eat an entire pizza, they give you, they have like these like cartoon themed t-shirts that are deal with whatever's going on in pop culture that they make like once a month. That's always a fun joint to go to. I love a challenge, but I digress. Me and Enrique left work once about 45 minutes early. We had, we worked in, in Clevington, which is Camden County, but we had a thing in um, was a New, New, Brunswick. Ju- New Brunswick. So it was like, hey, if you want to leave now, we could stop and get pizza and miss rush hour. <laughs> and Enrique was like, all right. So we, we like just left this work conference early and got De Lorenzo's. And I think we made the right decision. You definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was great. Real quick, and I'm sorry, I'm just really curious. What are your thoughts on like Wawa pizza, 7-Eleven pizza, pizza like that? So uh, there's a place for everything. I mean, everyone can like live in harmony. Me personally, I don't eat those things. I would never eat 7-Eleven pizza or Wawa pizza. I think Wawa has the best subs and the best coffee. But I, if I'm going to go get pizza, I'm going to go, especially if I'm in the tri-state area, I'm going to go to one of those places that I told you about. And there's also, there's like a dime a dozen of places that are like, you know, two brothers or three brothers or things like that, that, that you can, Romeo's and shit like that, that, that you can get a really solid slice from. So I would, I would opt to those over a 7-Eleven or a Wawa. But if you want a good sandwich or you want a good sub or you want, you know, some, some good coffee, then I would go to Wawa. I also appreciate you saying the right word, sub, instead of all the other... <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not a hero guy. I'm not a hoagie guy. I'm a sub guy. I'm a That's sub definitely guy. sub. That's true. Or isn't it like heroes are North Jersey, hoagies are South Jersey, like that's and then and then sub is kind of everywhere else? Is that kind of... I don't know. I've only knew subs, yeah. and somebody once was like... I worked at a restaurant. They kept saying, can I get a cheesesteak hoagie? And I was like, I don't know what the yeah, fuck is. Hoagie, hoagie's definitely a Philly and a South Jersey thing, for sure. <laughs> like, if you drive through, um, if you're in on, like, 95, driving through Pennsylvania and you're in the Philly area, they have the Wawa sign, like, billboards that say, get a hoagie here or something like that. So that's definitely a Philly thing. All right. Thank yeah. you, because I was, I was yeah. curious. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to run down my – do you want – me and Julia to yeah. run down our ideal pizzas. Yes. I want to. Well, yeah, yeah. I already know what you guys think about pineapple, but feel free to share it anyway. I'll just be quick. Sometimes simple pepperoni or simple mushroom. I love it when it's just simple. Pepperoni or mushroom. So when I worked at Domino's Pizza as a kid, there was a family that always got a thin crust with pineapple and jalapeno. And I'm like, oh, why would you do that? <laughs> pineapple and jalapeno, very underrated. Okay. Yeah. And then there's a place up the street called uh, Milanese Pizza from where we work at. Mm-hmm. And their white pe- their white pie with ricotta, chicken, and broccoli, top notch. Interesting. Okay. That's, I, I like that. If, if you like white pies, try um, artichoke pizza in New York City. Artichoke pizza is pretty good for a white pie. All right. I'm writing all these down. You got perfect pie, Julia? Yeah, so I guess I'm going to get out my hot take early in the episode. This is controversial. Um, but I feel like the sauce makes or breaks a pizza. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going somewhere that I've never been before, I will usually always get white pizza because I'm afraid to try regular pizza and then not like the sauce. So I feel wow, like you're like you're like living in fear of the sauce. <laughs> I actually hate tomatoes, so if, like, I eat tomato sauce, but if I can, like, tell it's tomatoes, I can't eat it. (laughs) 
Okay. I feel like you're. I feel like the more you say things, the more you're making yourself ineligible for being having a vote on this. Right. Like I feel like I shouldn't be part of this conversation because I don't. Really, I like pizza, but I don't really like pizza the way that you guys do. It's okay. There's there's place for everyone. Yeah. You would hate like saying two cheese then because like. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say like. I can't do tomatoes. Santucci's is all sauce, cheese on the bottom. You don't even see it. You just bite into it and oh, you know, it's a delight that it's there. That's how, that's how uh, uh, most deep dish pizzas are and like Chicago yeah. pizzas are. It's like all the sauce on the top. Oh, so. yeah. I hate the sauce on top. But yeah. Oh. I feel like white pizza and then like mushrooms, spinach, maybe broccoli. I do like ricotta. Yeah, so, ricotta is like, yeah, good. Yeah. But Julia, what about pineapples? I'm not about the pineapple. I understand it, but I don't like it because of texture and like it's too wet. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like I feel like you have a list of five things that you eat, and that's all you eat. Is that is that accurate? No, th- there's really like five things that I don't eat, but I feel like they affect a lot. Got it. Okay. <laughs> it's the five most common things. Right. <laughs> really, it's mostly just tomatoes. Fair enough. I get it. I don't, I'm not a giant tomato fan. I don't think tomato sauce tastes anything like tomatoes though, but, but I get you. I hear what you're saying. I was thinking about, um, cause like sometimes in the summer uh, I'll eat a tomato and I was thinking about that earlier today. All right. Second warm up question. Since we, we've already knocked the pizza warm up to get us, you know, thinking about pizza, we're going to do the, the movie warm up question. If you guys, just yeah, everyone pick what movie franchise needs another installment? Because there's been like there's been a you know a lot of I feel like sequels, requels recently. If you guys could just pick one and it would just magically come out in a couple of of weeks, you know, like which one would you uh, pick? Which one do you think needs to happen? You want me to go first? Sure. Happy Death Day. That one's easy. That one's easy. Happy Death Day three. I've been waiting for that one for a while. Chris Landon's one of the best, if not the best genre director for horror out there. And I, I can't wait for that movie to come out. And I know he's dying to make it. So that's, that's my whole thing. I love those movies. They are fun. My background and my uh, like upbringing is in slashers and, and horror comedies. So that's kind of like, it fits both of them for me. It checks both the boxes. All right. I have a few, but I'm just going to go through real quick. And by a few, I mean four, because a couple is two. I just learned that. I, I got yelled out earlier for that, but um, talk to me. I feel like we we discussed it. That is also I I just isn't that already confirmed to have a sequel? Yeah, but our sequel. Yeah. I'm saying our sequel, not their sequel. Okay, forget it then. No, no talk to me. Say, you're making your own. You're making your own version of like Scream Five, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, who be Halloween needs a sequel? Oh. <laughs> movie Halloween needs a sequel. I, I feel like that movie has a lot of untouched potential. Fair. And so we also we might get into it. I don't know. I know when we we when we watched Hell House LLC, the Carmichael Manor, mm-hmm. we and I'll probably pitch them to you because I don't I don't really know what's appropriate and what's not. So I'll probably pitch some ideas to you. But there was so much in that movie that I was like, I wish we could see like four more hours of different things. So I would say, since I can't say talk to me, because apparently they have a sequel and mine doesn't count. 
Yes, uh, that's, that's how that works. Who be Halloween? And I'd love to see like spinoffs of Car- Carmichael Manor. Interesting. Well, maybe we can make your 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 wish a reality someday. Oh man, that would be, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, just on the spot, I want to say Evil Dead because I really did not like Evil Dead Rise, but I know that it did well. I think. I was going to ask you, when you like, would you have like a completely new spinoff of that? Would you go off of Evil Dead Rise? Would you go off of the remake of Evil Dead or would uh, the 2013 one? Or would you go off yes. of like Army of Darkness? So the 2013 Ooh. remake was like amazing. So you'd live in that world. That. Okay. I agree with you. I love that movie. So. Yeah, and then for some reason, Evil Dead Rise like fell really flat for me. I was like pretty disappointed, especially after seeing 2013. So I would Got like it. to see another installment. Okay. No, that's that's fair. I think we're we're way we're long overdue for like one of the other like the non Michael Myers to make a comeback. Like I would like to see either a, a Nightmare on Elm Street or a Jason. I I feel like we're we're overdue for a classic. And um, also Pumpkinhead. It's been a long time, and I, I like Pumpkinhead, and I think it would be cool to have another Pumpkinhead movie. Yeah, I wouldn't mind another Pumpkinhead. Me neither. Interesting. Yeah, just something, something kind of fun. Cool. Uh, let's let's move on into this. We got some fun, or I don't know if they're fun at all, but questions for Joe. Um, you said you were a slasher fan, so like I would like to. Um, that was my first thing was to be like, since you seem to make horror movies, are you actually like, are you a horror fan? Yeah, huge horror fan. Yeah, I'm. Cool. I, I, mean, I mean, my career is horror filmmaking. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's certain people. So horror is the industry where a lot of people get their start because making horror movies is typically uh, like a it's a cheaper way. Horror movies usually don't cost as much. Horror movies, you don't need a main like name or a big big name talent in it, so it's usually a cheaper start. And I think you know a lot of folks in the horror industry don't love that people springboard horror to start their career and then jump into other genres. Um, I'm one of those people that, I, of course, I want to work in all genres, but I think horror and specifically horror comedy is really kind of like my bread and butter. Supernatural horror, horror comedy, and slashers are kind of the three areas that I like to play in. Yeah, if you could see me, you would see all of the tattoos. You would see all the things surrounding me right now. I am, I am a horror fan, uh, tried and true. That, that's great. That is great to hear. We're horror fans. What, what are some of your like favorite movies? I guess like growing up that got you into either I want to work in film or I just really like movies or I like horror. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. First horror movie I ever saw when I was four years old was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I was terrified. I, you know, when I was 12, I went back and I started telling my mom that I don't understand what I was so scared for. Can she rent all the movies for me at Blockbuster? And my mom said, sure. So I watched all the Friday the 13th, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, all the Halloweens, all the Child's Plays, all the Hellraisers. I went through everything and I fell in love. And so I would say... My favorite horror movie of all time has to be the original for me. has to be Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, the best horror movie of all time for its budget is John Carpenter's ha- Halloween. The most impactful horror movie on my childhood was Scream. And I nice. would say the early, early, early childhood development thing that really made me love the like kind of 
folklore and tales and all that kind of stuff was Disney's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. And then last but not least, I know you didn't answer, ask this question, but this kind of fills out my whole why I am the way I am. Is, <laughs> um, my favorite book is Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. And you those together and you now understand me as a person. That's an interesting book because like I, I've heard of it, but I think there are other like more popular Agatha Christie books. So it is the first whodunit. It is the first written literature whodunit ever to be recorded. So basically, Scream, Clue, um, any movie that is a whodunit, all of the other Agatha Christie books, it is derived from this. So if you ever want to, if you haven't read the book, go read the book because you will, will. read it and be like, holy shit, this is literally every single whodunit I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's all because of this book. What are you, did, did you like, um, do you like like Death on the Nile and... Yeah, so I mean, I'm a big Agatha Christie fan. Uh, I okay. think I think the new versions of the movies that they came out with, Murder on the Orient, Orient Express, Death on the Nile, and Haunting in Venice, I think all three of them are, are well done. I think Kenneth Branagh does a really good job playing the detective Poirot because Agatha Christie wrote like 55 books about him, so they can keep going. I think he does a really good job in that role. There's something about the movies to me that fall a little flat. I, I like them. I like their concepts, but something about them, they, they don't really capture to me what was the essence of the books. But I don't think a lot of times you'll ever really capture the essence of a book. Most of the times books, you can kind of go a little further than you can in movies, but I'm still going to see them. I'm a, I'm a huge whodunit fan. So I like when people try to do different things in, who, in whodunit. So like Ryan Johnson doing Knives Out and uh, Glass Onion. I was a fan of those because they're, different takes on the whodunit genre and uh yeah i'm 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 always a big fan of that and i'm always a classic love love movies like thanksgiving where it's just straight up body, <laughs> straight up body count and you got to figure out who the killer is by the time they kill you so love those movies oh yeah what were your thoughts on thanksgiving i loved it i you know i, I went into thanksgiving knowing it was going to be a body count movie knowing it was eli roth trying to pay tribute to his fans who loved the trailer from the grindhouse films I knew that it was going to be fun. I knew that it was going to be gory and Thanksgiving-esque. I really wasn't looking for much more out of that. But yeah, I, I thought it I thought it worked out pretty well. I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if you guys felt the same way. I thought it was pretty obvious who the killer was from the start of the movie. Yeah, eventually I kind of caught on and, and kind of figure it out. They kind of slip up and, and let it be known. Well, there's also something that's happening. I'm not sure if you've, it's happened with Scream 6, it's happening with this, is they're taking older stars who were big time stars in the early 2000s and the late 90s and putting them in horror movies and all of them are being the killers. So I think that's, I think that's kind of the direction of bringing back some of these stars and putting them in these roles. Uh, and I think the reason why they're accepting these roles is because they get to be the killer. Yeah, I had actually confused him with the guy who played the killer in, what was it, Scream 6? And mm-hmm. I was like, wasn't well, he just the killer in that other movie? But it was a <laughs> different actor. Yeah, you're talking about Dermot Moroney and Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on, one's McDreamy. Everyone knows McDreamy. Patrick Dempsey has some great hair still. I do have a question, Joe, and it is not... Yeah, well, okay, I have a question, right? Every time we bring up Knives Out and Glass Onion. I, I just I have to know what are your thoughts on Daniel Craig's accent? <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. 
I think I think he makes those movies. Like I so when you do a whodunit, and again, this goes back to Agatha Christie because Agatha Christie had this detective Poirot who's like the best detective in the world. It's following that theme of like Sherlock Holmes. It's like this person is the most world-renowned detective. And I think, you know, to follow a character like that, you have to create something that's unique and different. And I think his kind of like Kentucky weird accent kind of coming across really dumb, but is actually really smart. I love that. I, 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 I really, really, really love when people try new things and go in a different direction. So, you know, the stereotypical detective who knows better than everyone and is a dick to everyone, like that kind of like house, the doctor house, like that kind of detective. Yeah. We've seen that detective so many times. So having kind of like a bumbling like kind of un- unsure how to respond or, 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 or say things and talking about a donut hole and making weird references like that to me was pretty funny. And I, I thought that was a good, a good job by Ryan Johnson. And uh, what's his name? Daniel Craig. I loved Knives Out. I thought it was great. And I love that he didn't improve the act. I feel like he got worse in Glass <laughs> Onion. <laughs> but I, yeah. but I, I like that because I feel like he's so intelligent. He doesn't need to know what part of the country he's allegedly from. So is it safe to assume that you love Knives Out, but you didn't love Glass Onion as much? Oh, no. I like I, I love I love them both. They're fun. Because like you said, it's a it's more so I, I'm a big fan of even though original isn't like a real thing, I'm a big fan of people taking their own spin on things. And I know I don't read books. That's the that's a Pat and Julia thing, but the like I know I know this was Ryan Johnson's like idea. Like he came up with it. You know, he made the characters, at least to my knowledge. I don't know. So I love that. And if they made 10 of them, I'd watch them all. Because same thing with the Agatha Christie uh, movies that they're starting to come out with. Because uh, uh, Haunting in Venice, that was that was great. And and by great, it's like, I don't remember exactly when it came out. I want to say probably like September-ish, maybe October. That movie was like scary. Not like, I mean, it didn't like, you know, I didn't have to sleep with the lights on, but... Like they gave it that feel of this is the time of the year. They gave it that really good feel. And I enjoy that kind of stuff. And then when you add the silliness and, you know, all the other things, like it just gets better, especially when the movie's silly. I I have no problem with like movies being silly. Right. I think there's like a great, when it comes to a whodunit, there's like when it's done so well, the, you could have like really good comedy because like Perot's mannerisms and his reactions are are like really funny at times, and like his concern with like the perfect egg or the pastries, they're like it's just like there's really comical. And same with Knives Out, but you're getting this like good whodunit story, and the same with like even Clue with um Tim Curry, like it's a mixture of like comedy but mystery, and you just have like I don't know, like when you sometimes when you want to watch a movie, you want to have fun, you want to be entertained. You're not trying to be stressed out. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to like think all the time. I agree. You want to know, so a lot of times when I talk about those two movies, specifically Knives Out and Glass Onion, most people say Knives Out is better, and, and I agree. But the one thing that I will say of what makes Glass Onion so good to me is obviously the, the most obvious killer is the person who is the killer. But the best part about it is if you guys have watched it more than once, watch all of the scenes that they actually point out when Daniel Craig goes through his thing and points out everything, watch those scenes again, you actually can see 
the, like the gun moving and the gun being like like when when Edward Norton's running through the hallways. If you look, you can see he's holding the gun as he runs through the hallways. When you look and see him with Dave Batista and like they're like drinking and like hugging, you see him pull the gun out of his holster and put it in his back pocket. Like you, the the thing that I like is so many whodunits they make it so confusing so that, you know, everyone's going to try to guess who the killer is. But by the time you reveal who the killer is, sometimes you're like, wait a second, there's no way that person would have been physically able to do this, 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 and this. And I like what Ryan Johnson does is he actually has, like, if you were paying attention the first time, you'd actually see that he was the killer because you'd see him doing those things. But because of the way he tells the story, you actually don't look at those things. You're looking at their faces or you're looking somewhere else in the scene. And I like that he puts all that information in there for you so that if you were paying attention to certain things, you obviously know who the killer is. And I love that. But I, I haven't noticed, but, like, that's such a uh, – I definitely got to rewatch now yeah. and pay better attention. I, I had a question for you. What would be your dream project to work on? Endless budget, recruit whoever. Like, what would be the story that you would want to tell? As I, a, re- uh, I would want to remake Clue. Clue, the, Clue is the dream project for me to remake. <laughs> I oh, I'm so glad you said. <laughs> I, I I fucking love Clue. I actually I got married last year, and uh, my wife and I. My wife's an interior designer and a production designer, and we both crafted a story and created a character. And we had a murder mystery within our wedding. And it was my version of Clue that we got to build a story and, and do all of this stuff. And so I, I Clue to me is like, the, the, don't get me wrong. The original Clue, I think, is awesome. Like, I think it's so funny. I think everyone's great. That cast is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not that I want to remake it because I don't think the, the original is good. I think the original is great. And I wish no one would remake it. But I also know that we live in an industry where everyone tries to remake everything. And so if that's the, if that's the world we're living in, I'm taking clip. I'll have so to hear I, that. I have to buy the rights back from Ryan Reynolds. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll work on that. Yeah. I don't know. That, that's one of my favorite movies. I work with kids. I love showing that movie around like Halloween time and trying to play the board game. But like for some reason, kids can't understand the concept right. of the board game but it's still a lot of fun it's one of my favorite movies tim carrey is one of my favorite actors so i love that so i got another question we want to get into some hell house questions what, what what drew you to hell house in the beginning so when when i first got brought into hell house uh stephen cognetti had already written the original script and uh he was looking for a producer and i was in the process of making my first feature that i wrote and directed that year and um he sent, he, we had a mutual friend connected the two of us. Um, we got along really, really well. And he told me it was found footage. And at that point in my life, Paranormal Activity was the only found footage movie that I really liked. And I didn't love found footage. So I was like, okay, this could be another challenge for me to kind of get invested in something. And, you know, over the course of 10 years and four films later, I immersed myself in found footage. I did a documentary about paranormal activity. Like I've been so, so into this world that, you know, it's such a smart way for filmmakers to kind of scare their audience. And I think like we have, we have an insanely amazing fan base. And I think if you do found footage the right way, you can scare the shit out of people and people will respond to it. And, you know, knowing that it's, it's a good medium for, first time filmmakers and people getting a start because it's very forgiving. A lot of the stuff that 
in a narrative film that uh, fans wouldn't forgive you for, for making mistakes like continuity mistakes and things like that. Um, found footage, you can make those mistakes and uh, especially documentary style found footage like we do. You can get away with some some things that you wouldn't be able to get away uh, with in a narrative style. So I think it was a good platform and a good launching board for Steve to get his first um, film under his belt. And also for me to kind of step into a different role because, you know, my, my primary bread and butter is writing and directing. And I think, you know, it, it's kind of, it's been interesting because I've been writing and directing for around 11 or 12 years now. And Hell House and the Paranormal Activity documentary are the two things that I'm most known for. And it's funny because the one, you know, franchise that I've worked on is I'm known more as a producer, even though I've done more writing and directing in my career. How is that transition? Like, is it was it really weird at first? Because it's like you are a writer, director and, and a producer is a different role. Was that like trying to like. Well, yes. And no. So so it's so usually like there's different types of producers, but we're so low budget that like when I say producer, I mean all of the things a producer like when when it comes to budget, when it comes to hiring people, when it comes to crew, but also creative. And so we Steve and I had a really good relationship right off the bat where I think he was relying on me for some technical things because he didn't have a very big technical background. So he knew what he wanted things to look like. He just didn't know how he would get them there. So that's where we kind of came together because he would tell me what he wanted and I would explain to him what equipment he would need or how he would want to shoot it. So we got a, we had a really good launch pad with our career, uh, with our careers together. And also he was very open to my feedback and I'm a pretty blunt person. So uh, around the Hell House, uh, you know, teams, I'm known as the um, the logic police. So Steve would always say something to me and I'd be like, well, that doesn't make sense. Logically, that would not make sense here. Like, you should try, try this, try this, try that. And, you know, usually it, it takes both of us to, to make it work because, like you said, it could be a little weird at times. But Steve was really good about, like, asking for feedback and taking notes from me. But at the same time, I was also kind of, you know, I don't want to step on his toes. I don't want to overstep and, and give him every single note, every single time, like let him do his thing and let him kind of tell his story. But I'm always a backup there and I'm always supporting him as best I possibly can. That's awesome. Um, that's awesome how you guys are able to work together, especially like with you both having experience and vision and, and like starting out and making like I show hell house the original one to like everyone just whenever someone needs like a recommendation for a movie like a horror movie i i tend to always throw that out i i have like just one or two questions on that so were you on on set for hell house one because that was uh filmed at the waldorf estate right yeah yeah i was on set for every single hell house i've been a part of every single one from every from inception to like like i said when steve wrote the first screenplay for the original hell house he wrote it as a narrative film and then he realized he couldn't afford it as a narrative film. So he rewrote it as a found footage film. He found the Waldorf. And then the third thing was he found me. And then since then I've been with Steve every step of the way for all the films. That's awesome because I don't like, so me and Enrique did a, an escape room at the Waldorf estate. Yeah. yeah. Angie's awesome. We wouldn't have been able to do Hell House the way we wanted to do Hell House if Angie wasn't as awesome and as great as a resource as she is. So we were so happy yeah. that, that we came across her and, and every every one of her and her crew and the people in Lehighton were phenomenal to work with and, yeah. and so awesome. She was so much fun. We do this uh, escape room. She was so cool and charming and fun. Her grandson was doing a fantasy football draft, which like we think is hilarious because like he's like, Grandma, I, I gotta make my pick real quick and then I'll explain how they're gonna get out of this like torture chamber. <laughs> um, 
That's funny. And then, um, uh, just like you know, we, we've we've gone up to Lee Height in a, a handful of times because the Mahoning Drive in. I don't know. Have you ever been there? Uh, just out of curiosity. Yeah. The Mahoning Drive in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been all over there. I mean, we we every film that we shot in that area. I'm pretty sure we've been to every restaurant, to every bar, to the movie theaters. We've pretty much scoured everywhere of Lee Height and Palmerton and Jim Thorpe. So yeah, I mean that that that. I think they've done a couple screenings of our movie at that place. Unfortunately, I don't think either of us could have come when they did that because Steve lives in Pennsylvania, um, but he's a father of two, so he's preoccupied at times, and I now live in L.A., so he usually tries to get back to the Waldorf once a year to kind of support Angie's business and sort of meet fans and whatnot. I've been able to come back every other year, but yeah, we we are that town is amazing. Those people are amazing. We wouldn't have the, the success that we've had without those people, so we're very we make sure we we give them the the nods and the attention that they deserve because they really kind of helped us get amazing production value out of something for not a lot of money. That's so cool to hear. So like you, you're the uh, you you were the clown, right? I was, yeah. I am. I am and- body. <laughs> yeah, so I am. One, whose idea was it? Cause it? Like that was terrifying, and I was afraid to even like DM you when I saw that it was like it was just like clown from Hell House. I was like, there was a moment of like real fear where I was like, it would be cool to you know invite the clown on, but also like I'm afraid of this. <laughs> well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, I, I'm okay. I promise. Um, so the clown. So so Steve wrote a clown into the original Hell House. And basically, we kind of had like a Michael Myers type thing happen where we bought a clown mask. We had a, a, a custom clown mask made for Hell House. We got the mask. It was terrible. So we said to Angie, do you have any other like clown masks? And she found this clown mask that she used at her home. <laughs> and then we modified it and we, we painted it. And our, our special effects makeup artist made some changes to it. Uh, put the bloody eyes on it and sort of it became really, really creepy. But the thing is, is the original Hell House, a lot of those scenes that work like amazing, we probably tried them like three or four different ways. So like the scene that's probably the scariest scene for most people in that movie is when Paul wakes up and, and the little girl's in the room with him. That we shot with a little girl, we shot with a clown, and I think we shot with one other thing. So we tried a bunch of different things. And then when we were in the edit, just kind of figured out which ones work and which ones were the creepier. But the clown, I think, originally was just supposed to be a creepy thing in the house. And when the movie came out, fans reacted to it. in, And they were like, oh, my God, this is the scariest clown since Pennywise. And so we basically sort of, as the movies went along, we sort of built in more scenes and more stuff for the clown. And then obviously over the course of, you know, three films originally, we started working on, we, I'm not sure if you guys read or, or knew about this, but we were working on a prequel series called The Abaddon Tapes. And we were coming up with backstories and origin stories for a lot of these characters that you've seen in the trilogy. And then it kind of fell through. We didn't really have an opportunity to do that, but we had an opportunity to do origin stories, which weren't necessarily prequels, but did touch on some <clears throat> backstory for certain characters. Uh, and the obvious choice was to do the clown. So yeah, so it, it sort of kind of fell into our laps. And also the reason why I played it was super low budget reason was uh, we don't want to pay someone else to have to wear a clown mask. I could just fucking do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By the time we got to the third one, it was more of a thing of pride for me. It was like, no, I don't want anyone else doing this. Like when we started working on pre-production for the new film, The Carmichael Manor, uh, Steve was actually casting 
to look for people to play the clown. And um, he, he sent me some tapes of people and he asked me what I think. And I said, oh, do you like, I didn't realize you were looking for someone else to play the clown. And he said, well, don't you hate playing the clown? And I was like, absolutely not. And he goes, okay, never mind. And then he's <laughs> no, like, that's you're the clown. <laughs> what, so. what pisses me off, and, and obviously this is like, this is what horror movies are supposed to do. But what pisses me off, you walk upstairs and you run into a room with two fully dressed clown mannequins and they're just like, oh, this is strange. And it's like, no, this is like, it, it's, it's beyond strange. Like if you, you look at the clown mask and it's not like a slinky clown that like, you can't see what I'm doing, but like, it's, it's not yeah, like, a, it's not like Bozo the clown. It's like, a right. It's like, this guy could probably beat the shit out of you in hand to hand, you know, any kind of hand to hand combat sport. And yeah. It's they're just like oh strange cool and well, I have for you um, white people are stupid so absolutely <laughs> so, if that was me if that was me I'd be out right and, but, here, but that's but that's part of what I was saying earlier is that kind of stuff to me is ridiculous it's silly it's stupid but I love it because I think I'll, I'll admit now at this part of my of my life that. I do have like anger issues and <laughs> I I noticed that like certain things, it just pisses me off. Cause I'm like, how are you that stupid? But it's so silly that it's like, if a movie doesn't have something that makes me say, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, I don't know. You kind of missed the mark. And this one, like, as soon as, as soon as they walked upstairs, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'll see you guys tomorrow or something. Like, well, here's the thing, and, and this is something that's that's important. So for starters, when you're when you're writing a horror film or when you're making a horror film, like there has to be elements of suspension of disbelief because when you when you're creating something, you ultimately, you know, like I've heard so many people like in zombie movies or in like vampire movies or whatever, be like, wait a second, that one thing, like, like I, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but uh, I, for some reason I'm thinking of Twilight and I don't know why I'm thinking of Twilight right now, but like, it, just think of a movie where like, a, someone like overpowers someone and they're like, wait a second, that's not realistic. And you're like, wait a second, you're saying it's not realistic for this smaller person to overpower this bigger person, yet you're watching a movie about vampires. Where you're watching exactly. So there, there has to be an element of suspension of disbelief. And I think really good filmmakers and really good storytellers, they have a good balance of that so that you don't really ask those questions or like, wait a second, why would you do that? But to that point, I will tell you this. I will bet my life that each and every one of you at some point in your life and probably regularly, probably daily, do something that if you were in a horror movie, people in the crowd would be like, are you fucking stupid? Like literally if you live in a two house, a two story house and you wake up in the middle of the night and walk downstairs to grab a drink of water, you're dumb in a horror movie. Like you're an idiot in a horror movie. Or if you are going away with your friends and you're going to a cabin in the woods or whatever, and there's a hot tub and at night everyone's cold and they're like, you go turn it on and you go and turn it on. You're the first person to die in a horror movie. So it's, it's funny because I realized this a really long time ago is, Every single one of us becomes a quick to judge, quick to be like, that's not realistic. That's not realistic. What are you doing? Get out of there. But just think about it. 
you don't think that your life is in jeopardy. Like you don't have a serial killer chasing you. You don't. But what if you actually did? And what if it was the first day of that happening? You would live your life like a regular person doing the same exact things that you do. And if there was someone trying to kill you, you would probably put yourself in a position to be killed multiple times in that without even knowing it. And the crazy thing is, I'm not even in a horror movie and most people are like, are you fucking stupid when I do certain things? I know for a fact if I were in a horror movie, I'd be that person that people are like, I fucking hate this guy. He's an idiot. And it's it, it and I'm glad you mentioned that because that that's what makes me enjoy it is my mom hates horror and she swears that I'm going to hell because I love horror movies. But I, when we do watch certain movies and she catches on that it's horror, she's like, this is stupid. How is this happening? And I always think like we're watching a movie where basically this guy has five arms, you know, and, and you're you asking this you question. Know you, should, you know what you should say to your mom? Because this is what I would say to her. I would say, you know, um, there's a bunch of guys or girls or a team of people that thought of a couple ideas and put it together and wrote a script and made a movie and brought an entire team of people together and created something that's on a flat 2D screen that makes you feel like your life is in jeopardy. That is not stupid. That is talent. That is really talent to make someone go from an idea to terrifying person to making them feel like their life is in jeopardy from watching a screen. One reason that, so this movie, the Carmichael Man actually, it legitimately terrified me. Uh, there's only a few things in my life that will bring actual fear. So I lived, the house that we lived at with my mom was actually haunted. Uh, you know, whether people believe in it or not, I don't, you know, I always tell people like, I don't care whether you believe it or not. Like I know what we've seen, what we've heard, what we felt. My mom for a long time, she moved about 13 years ago, but my mom for about 20 years, nah, that's not real. No, 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 no. That never happened. She just maybe like three years ago started to admit that there was times she'd be watching TV when she'd go home from work around three and she'll see a shadow and say, okay, maybe it's time to go to sleep. So I think in reality, that's probably why she doesn't want to watch movies is because we've had experiences and like in particular, I don't know. I, and I really don't even know what it was. It's just, there was like feelings in a movie where I'm like, holy shit, I remember walking through and this fear that I'm feeling now and what they're feeling on TV, I rem I know how it feels. And I felt the same way with like skin marine because I had uh, sleep paralysis my whole life. And I felt the same thing about the PG-13 Boogeyman movie that we just saw. And there's just like certain things, even though the Boogeyman is PG-13, I was having like a panic attack in the theater. And it wasn't scary. It's just it triggered something. And... I, I love it that because those moments when you're like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like to me, that's also the equivalent of like closing your eyes when something's happening, you know, because I, I get to take a breath and say, OK, you're not scared right now. You're more so frustrated, you know, and it's kind of like taking that deep breath and closing your eyes. And because I need it sometimes I need it. And and it's like when I saw. The and I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I'll let Pat get back to it. But I saw the Julia and I saw the Carmichael Manor. We turned the lights off, and there was a time when I was going to say, "Hey, do you mind if I turn the side light on?" Because 
There was I'll I'll be honest, there were parts in the movie where I'm like, I I might have to turn a light on. It's it's one of those things where it's like it's fantastic to get that fret breath of fresh air of horror where you're like, damn, I was I was scared. Yeah. Not not to like flex, but I'm rarely scared. <laughs> but that movie was terrifying. I think especially because we were like in our office, like in the middle of the night and no one else was here. And at some point for some reason someone knocked on the front door in the middle of the oh, night. Oh yeah. And in that moment I was like, it's here. <laughs> like <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. I was like, oh my God, the clown's outside. (laughs) I'm glad it I'm glad it scared you guys. Thank you. That 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 means the world to us. But even though we heard the door knock, none neither of us two said, let's get up and find out. Because in reality, we were scared of shit. I mean, that's anytime I hear a strange noise, all the feminism leaves my body, and I'm like, damn, you better go see what that was. That's awesome. So, yeah. That's crazy. You should go check that out. So I, I was rambling, but I did. I did. I, I, I'm happy you mentioned those things because it's 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 a it's a breath of fresh air. And since we're kind of on like the Hell House conversation, like it is a breath of fresh air to finally get a movie. You know, they come across very rarely where you, you come across a movie where you know and and i've seen horror since i was a young kid and i've been i'm fucking scared i sleep with the light on sometimes like i'm scared at 33 years old of the dark so <laughs> but i love horror movies i don't understand the 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 theory behind that but it's really rare for me to watch a movie and say eh you know i was scared this is, i mean i love many movies but it's rare for me to say i was scared and this was one of them this actually marked Two movies this year that I saw. Three. No, when was he skin ring? January, right? So this year alone, there was three movies that legitimately put actual fear in me to where I'm having chest pains. And this one, I don't know why. Maybe I was too immersed. Maybe because it was dark. Maybe because I was, I don't know. Whatever it was, there was parts when I'm like, I might pretend to go pee so I could walk away for a second. Well, I feel, thank you. I feel like we did our jobs. Yeah. So I, I, I am, I cannot wait to, to, and Pat actually introduced me to the original Hell House seven years ago when I moved in. And our, our neighbor upstairs at the time, Tom, who's also a listener, him and his um, partner, I guess I'll call her, Jessica, she- yeah, Partners, yeah, love Hell House, and I got I got to see it with them. I did the the we did the uh, escape room with them. It was like one of the worst days of my life that day. And after the escape room, it was like so much fun. So I ramble a lot. I apologize. I just felt I needed to say that because I am a huge fan, but I do need to let you know that this movie legitimately put fear, and it I mean can pretty much say put fear in Julia too. But this legit, it legitimately put fear in me to where I was like, I may need to walk away for a quick second. Well, I'm happy to hear that. So thank you. And and to those listeners, thanks guys for recommending our movie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, We we asked Jess, we had her on because we had like a tell ghost story and she's lived a very haunted life. And we asked her like, what's her favorite scary movie? We did the screen line and she's like, oh, Hell House. Mm -hmm. And and, um, I think that's really cool. 
uh, I asked her, it was just like, hey, you got any questions? She wanted to know, what's it like on set of like a Hell House movie? Like since you're a producer, you're doing so many things. Like, is your day just like long and laborious or are you like having fun? What's like the, 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 the mood like? No, the, so Steve and I run pretty good sets where usually a lot of the times when you're doing a movie of this capacity, you're trying to get a lot of stuff done in a short period of time. So what tends to happen when you're doing something like that is you run into really long days and really long hours, but we don't really do that on these movies. These movies are always really fun to make and and we've been blessed with a really great crew and a really great cast um, for all four movies. So we tend to usually try to do eight hour to 10 hour days, which is, you know, on the shorter end. Um, and then uh, basically, you know, everyone's kind of living in and around the location. Everyone has come together like a family. Like honestly, every film that we've done, it's gotten better and better and better. And I can honestly say that my best experience or my favorite experience where, cause usually, you know, when you have a lot of people living around one another, working long hours and kind of like away from home, it, it's easy to get on people's nerves. It's easy to kind of get frustrated with people, but I can safely say that this last movie, no one got in any arguments. No one had any problems. And we had an amazing, amazing production assistant, Carissima, who literally decided to take over kind of making food. And we were doing a lot of night shoots and she would just start making like cupcakes and brownies and cookies and all this stuff for the crew. (laughs) And it was like, literally like everyone really cared about one another. And it was such an awesome, awesome experience. Like everyone was in on it. It's a very fun uh, set to be a part of. Um, Honestly, I can't, I can't say anything bad about any of my cast or crew. Everyone was so great to work with and, and we've we've had we've been very lucky to have really really good people working with us on these films. I want to know you, you hear us talk about how terrified we were of it, and, and like I, the reviews I've read of it after I saw it, people were like, "This is the best installment." They're like, "How rare it is for a horror a series to get to four and then make one of the you know like a, a something that's fresh, that's new, that expands, but doesn't like take away." So, like, when did you know that you had, like, a good hit on your hand? For, you mean the, for any of them or the fourth one? The, the, the fourth one, specifically, like, when, when was it, like, on set? You're like, oh, we're gonna, this is a, a fucking home run. Or was it, like, afterwards, you're like, oh, shit, we, we did a great job. Well, listen, you, you're never fully sure because you never know how an audience is going to react to something. I'd say the, the, the way we felt about the first one, the first one was the hardest because the first one, I mean, even now we're still kind of like surprised at times when people are like, oh my God, like you should see this movie and we hear people talking about it. Every time around Halloween, there's always top 10 lists of horror films of, of you know, at first it started as top 10 lists of found footage films. Then it became top 10 lists of horror films. Then it became top 10 scariest films of all time. And then like we're reading things where like, a doctor, a psychologist is saying what films are the scariest films of all time. We're the three on that list. So like we're, we're constantly like surprised by things like that every day. And, and, you know, a lot of the times I think the reason why we are so, so successful is because we have the most amazing fans in the world. But when we were making the fourth film, there was something different on set. We felt it right away. Like we knew that there was a lot of things that happened on set. It was like replicating moments of what happened on the first film. So we knew, because, we, you know, Steve and I aren't stupid. We read what people say. We understand. We also know, you know, what we did well with and what we didn't do well with. We know that 
number one is probably the number one film for everyone. And number four is probably a close second and then three and then two. Like we know how people feel about these films because we feel the same way about them. But, you know, when we were shooting four and we were on set, there were so many moments that were like, this is a lot more closer to one. So I always say it's, imp- it's really, really difficult for a film to be better than the first one. I think the first one was more bro centric and I think this one is more girl centric. So I think it's kind of a different version of kind of what the first one did, but you know, the fact that people are saying it's the second best and the the fact that people are saying it's more terrifying than the first, that's what we wanted. So I feel like, you know, it's, you never know with these things. Like we wake up every day and, and we're, you know, we're proud of the work that we did and we know we did a good job, but the, you know, that, things that come of it we're constantly like this is amazing like we were so happy that this connected to so many people and people really like the material oh that's awesome i i, I just like a few more questions um sure when 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 it's all released and and you're getting like some decent reviews come in and like i don't know, you check letterbox and people are like this scared the shit out of me are you going out and celebrate how you celebrate So I don't really celebrate because like basically by the time a movie comes out, you're already working on something else. So that's fair. And because movies usually take so long, you know, we shot the movie. This was a really quick turnaround, but we shot the movie in April and it came out in October. And that's a very short turnaround. It usually doesn't happen like that. The next movie that I have that's coming out is called 825 Forest Road. And we shot that in 2021 and it's probably going to come out in the spring. So like most movies take a few years before they come out. So, you know, by the time the movies come out, you do, you're, you're in a different place. You're working on other material. You're, you've learned so much more. So even, so even when the movie comes out, you're a much better filmmaker, producer, writer, director, whatever you are than what you were when you made that movie. But sure. Like when we had our, um, a release uh, at the IFC center in New York city and most of the cast and a lot of the crew came. And of course, we celebrated that night. We went out to a bar. We hung out with everyone. It was such a good night. So you definitely celebrate those moments. But, you know, to everyone's different. I feel like, you know, I love that people say good things about this franchise. I love that people, you know, love our work and love the stuff that we do. But, you know, with you got to take everything with a grain of salt because for every person that likes it, there's another person out there on Reddit that says this is the biggest piece of shit franchise they've ever seen. So I, I try not to go too far down That's the rabbit hole reading reviews and going through that stuff like you could tell pretty quickly i mean look at rotten tomatoes and look at the score and look at certain things like that and you could tell it's getting the you know the reception that we wanted it to but yeah i mean i think steve might go down a rabbit hole sometimes a little bit more than i do but i try not to read these things you know the the good ones that i like to read not to say that it doesn't matter what people are saying but when we get people like scott derrickson or mike flanagan saying stuff about us those are usually the ones that i'm paying attention to and i'm like this is good. But, uh, but you know, that's, that's kind of having our, you know, being in, in a category with some of the filmmakers that inspire us and having them say good things about what we do. That's always, that's always really nice to see. If, if you could work with any, like, I guess, like traditional horror uh, actor or actresses, what are some that you would just want to have, like, in, in like, whatever your next roles, films would be? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I have a list of people that I want to work with. My, <laughs> My, uh, I mean, it would be a dream for me to work with Robert England in any capacity. Um, I would want to put him in something. Obviously, I know his age doesn't allow him to do a lot of the Freddy Krueger type yeah. things that I would want him to do. But I would love to. I would love to work with him and put him in something. Uh, I have a few projects that I'm actually directing this year, and I'm hoping to start some conversations. But 
I'm a big fan of, uh, what's her name? Alexandra Daddario. I'm a big fan of her. She was in um, the remake, the two. I think it was the 2006 remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She oh, was yeah. Yeah. Was <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. I think she's a phenomenal actress, and she's been in a couple uh, low-budget horror movies. Uh, Justin Long, I think every movie he's in is awesome, so uh, he would be <laughs> someone I would love to work with. Yeah, and I'm just, uh, like I said, I, I I just want to keep making, my, my I, I guess I didn't say this to you guys, I said to someone else today, but my, my whole thing with filmmaking is, is I've been fortunate enough to work in a franchise that that's Hell House LLC. I've been fortunate enough to meet and work with a lot of people in the Paranormal Activity franchise when I did a documentary about that in 2021. I, I've been very blessed and very, and I'm very grateful for a lot of the opportunities I have. There's always a feeling of what's next. What's the next thing? When are you working on the next thing? When's that coming out? So there's, there's a big, like, you have to keep moving. You have to keep pushing, but yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky to have the opportunities that I have. And I'm very lucky to be, you know, living my dream and doing the things that I've always wanted to be doing. And I wouldn't be able to do that. And we wouldn't be able to make hell houses and, and tell the stories that we want to tell without podcasts like your guys' podcasts and without people like you who are fans of the stuff that we do. So I'd like to say thank you to you guys and, and thank you to Thanks. everyone who, who watches our stuff. Cause you know, we wouldn't have the success that we had and we wouldn't have the ability to tell these stories without people like you. I got a question about pizza real quick. So you're <laughs> in LA. Yeah. How is LA pizza? And are, are you ever like, with your friends in LA eating pizza and you're like, man, I wish I could take you to New Jersey. Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, pizza out in LA sucks. Like, listen, don't get me wrong. There's anywhere you go. I mean, well, maybe not outside of the U S but anywhere you go, you can always find something that's serviceable. That's something like, like I've never been one of those people that says like Domino's or little Caesars or Papa John's is absolute garbage pizza. Like it, it's suitable for what, you know, if you're, if you're going out and partying in college and you come home and you want a pizza, great. That's perfect. So I, I'm not one of those people who like shits on that kind of stuff, but yeah, I mean, there's a handful of places out here that are pretty good pizza most of them are places of like people who are from Brooklyn and like, you know, import the water from the East coast and shit like that. So there's definitely a few of them that you can find. Um, I think wagon wheel of Brooklyn is one of them. Prime pizza is one of them. So there's a few, but yeah, most of the time, the general consensus is like, if you're in the tri-state area, if you want to go get like the best pizza, you go to someplace like John's of Bleecker street. But if you want a good piece of pizza, there's 10 different places around you. You can go in and get like an eight. It's different in LA, whereas you could go to one or two places and get like an eight or a seven pizza, but then everywhere else it's like fours or threes. So you got you got to make do. Like LA yeah. does, LA isn't great for pizza, but it's great for Mexican food. So <laughs> here's a here's a fun fact. You mentioned you can't really get you you, you mentioned I like out of the country, and when I was younger, well, I spent a lot of my summers in, in Mexico because I didn't have a choice. I was just kind of like free babysitting, you know. So it, it'd be. But my uncle one time ordered Domino's pizza. So I was like, ah, well, it's going to be Domino's pizza. And they gave us like a Sicilian with like cream cheese and chorizo and all this stuff. But you always, you know, here you do the Parmesan. You might do the red pepper flakes. Like they'll put those on the side. In Mexico, they give you ketchup. Ew. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, the reason like, why, that's the reason why I stopped myself because I, I do like I always said pizza is one of those things that's really hard to fuck up. But if you do live in another country, and that's why I stopped myself because I lived in Nigeria for six weeks, like ten years ago, and I got pizza and it was awful. And I was like, what? Like, how did you know? But I, I think. But again, they probably have their own, they had different things that were their cuisine that was great. So I think it's, it's not hard to make a pizza, but I feel like, I feel like in general, in the United States, you can probably in most places get something that's serviceable. Now, if you're going to get the best pizza in the world, like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen unless you're in the tri-state area or you're, you're a Chicago person and you're in Chicago or Detroit or something like that. But you can find really good pizza in a lot of places. So they rank, uh, like normally, like De Lorenzo's gets ranked up there as like the best in the country. And, and, and have you had La Raza? They're a Jersey City play, pizza place. They just been ranked like number one. I, I haven't had it yet. I've, I've been thinking about making a trip up. I'm pretty sure I did have them, but I'm, I want to make sure I'm not confusing them. Do you know when they opened? No, I, I don't. Okay. If they're new, then no, I haven't had them. If they've been around for a while, then I definitely have had them. They've been around for a while, I would assume. Yeah, they're, really, they're really good. I wouldn't put them above. And it's tough. De Lorenzo's is really good. I Like I said, my favorite place is Federici's. Like, um, it's it's in Freehold, New Jersey. Um, that's my favorite place. They, they had two, but they I think during the pandemic, one of them closed down. Um, but the one in Freehold, that's, that's my favorite pizza of all time. That's where I would put my stamp on. All right, great. Do you make your own pizza? I have at times. Yeah, I have a I have an uni pizza oven, so I've made uh, you know my own pizzas and stuff. Sometimes they turn out good, sometimes they don't turn out great. But I will say, when they don't turn out great, they're still serviceable. I think that's that's like the whole thing. Like, you know, if you could hit something that's serviceable, you know, like that's still you know the the bar is is higher than low. Right. Exactly. I guess like last question, at least that I have. Um, what's it's coming up next for you. What can we be on the lookout for? Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, the movie Eight Twenty Five Forest Road. It's a movie that I produced. It's coming out in um, probably in the spring. I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what. And then the first film that I ever directed was called Seclusion. It got renamed by a distributor, Cabin Fear, and it got put out. And they changed a lot of the movie. So I actually bought the rights back, and I'm re-releasing it this year. So that'll be out probably around the summertime. And then I have two other projects that I can't really say much, but I'm working on them now. And hopefully if things go the way I want them to, those will be early releases in 2025. Nice. Yeah. We'll keep an eye out. Uh, do you know where we'll be able to see th- those movies? Yeah. So I, usually basically the, the main streaming platforms that we hit up are prime and shutter. So I think you'll probably see those movies on both of them, but it really depends. You know, we're still kind of working out a theatrical. We could have potential theatrical release for one of them. So, but you know, usually a lot of the stuff that we do ends up on Prime. It ends up on Prime if you have a subscription and or Shutter with a subscription, and then it ends up on pretty much any other platform that's like a pay, like like iTunes, Google Play, things like that. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, no, I'm a Shutter person and. As a group, we try to, whenever there's those, like, releases that are, like, it's going to be on Shutter eventually, but it's in theaters, kind of like how Skinamarink was, and uh, Consecration, and Angry Black Girl and Her Monsters. Uh, We tend to be the guys that are running to the theater to see it, to support uh, filmmakers. 
So, um, you know, we, we definitely look on that too. Thank you. And we appreciate that. So, uh, you, like I said, you guys, you guys make us feel better about the stuff that we do. So I really appreciate you guys and having, having viewership and people that talk about our stuff because hell house is definitely word of mouth film and, and, you know, it, we've, we're coming up on a decade of when we shot it. And today, like you said, there's still people who have not seen it and there's still people like you who tell people to see it all the time. And, and we wouldn't, we, we are so grateful to you guys for that. It's great stuff, man. Yeah. Thank you. I do have one question. And if you can't answer it because there's a secret behind it, just say pass. But <laughs> it, it, I, we kind of went back and forth. So in the Carmichael Manor, the pe- were the people in the woods like some cult members or were they witches? Or were they just like dudes? No, those are the same. Those are the same, uh, like cloaked figures from the Abaddon. For whatever reason, we weren't sure, and like a new yeah, thing. If you go back and watch when they're in the they're in the basement of the hotel at the end. Oh, okay. So the same cloaked figures that are uh, sprinkled throughout the first three hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I remember the ones in the in the basement. Okay, so. Probably because I was trying to keep my focus from, you know, I, I got to be a man, you know. So I, for some reason, I was like, I wonder who they are. are. They, I was like, are they like cult members? I think I don't know if it was Julie or maybe I'm pretending. Thought they were witches, and we were like, because we were thinking, why can't you just keep going? Like, why would you stop when you see them? Which I mean, I would, but yeah, I think I, when we originally watched it, I hadn't seen the other movies in like quite a while going into it. So I mm-hmm. kind of forgot about all the hooded figures. So I was like, Oh, what's the big deal? And then later on I went back and I was like, Oh no. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we wanted the fourth one to kind of stand on its own. And, and we do think that like, if you've never seen the first three, you could still watch that movie and be scared and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's just, if you did watch the other ones and knew those characters or knew the clown, then you would be like, Oh shit, this is tying exactly to those things. But, um, but yeah, I mean the, the, the running story as of now is those cloaked figures are, cult members that have transferred over but you never know we might tell their story one day yeah so that was the next thing that i had told julia and pat was i would love to see their story that i think that would be so much fun to kind of because you still don't know who they are they're just there yeah, I mean, listen, the mythology is in the movies. Um, if you go back and watch them, we, we, we've sprinkled the mythology throughout. So you kind of have a general idea of who they are. But, you know, maybe we'll tell their stories in another Hell House LLC Origins. Or maybe we'll get an opportunity to do a prequel series one day. You never know. So, I feel like we need to know them more on an intimate level. <laughs> I, I, hey, I couldn't... I. I I will take the take the feedback and and uh, okay. you know we're we're not always um, we're usually a lot of the times we don't necessarily have the say in like hey we want to tell this story and sometimes we might not be able to get funding for that story so um, a lot of it is dictated by our distribution deals and and whatnot but it, it was on the list of one of the things that we did want to explore that'd be awesome no that's awesome to hear I'm really excited to 
you know, have this opportunity to speak with you, especially the it's it's fun. We, we've met Felissa Rose a few times. We're all big Felissa Rose fans. And I the second time I met her, I was able to tell her about the first time I met her, how I was like really awkward. And I don't get starstruck, but like I was super starstruck. And it was like she mentioned she says like, hi, you know, maybe some quotes. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, oh, hi. Where it's just like I, I was like on like a delay because I was kind of starstruck. So it's it's always cool to kind of talk to like the artist, you know, and and, and let them know like, hey, pff, look, I was fucking scared, man. I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> and like that's the that's the main thing that I tell people is that like that's like my my running bit is that I tell people like I'm a grown ass man, but I was scared. So. I'm glad I was able to let you know that, you know, because I, I, I'm an artist myself. And sometimes you, you kind of want to, you don't, like me personally, I don't always want feedback because I'm really like self-conscious about work. But then when you get it from, well, like when you actually get to talk to people about it, it feels good. So I, I love talking to like an artist and kind of getting interviews and, um, and also letting you know, you know, letting you know what I thought and, yeah, so I'm glad I was over to tell you that I was. I'm Thank not you. Gonna, yeah, I, I appreciate your guys' feedback. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks for kicking it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, then. Um, thank you so much, and thanks. yeah, we're out. All we're right, out. sounds good. Have a good one, everyone. You too. Take yeah. care. All right, bye bye.